is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Bocamp, <laughs> personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Hello. Hello, bro. In this week's episode, it's the next in our series tackling major life events, buying a home, with advice from Motley Fool Wealth Management planner, Ross Anderson. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro. Yes, Allison. What's up? Well, I got three quick things for you. Number one. Interest rates are plummeting. So you may have read about this in the news. The 10-year Treasury is now yielding 2.48% down from 3.24% last November. March saw one of the biggest drops in rates, and certainly in the last couple of years. So why does that matter? Well, we talked briefly on a previous episode about the inversion of the yield curve, where short-term rates are yielding higher than long-term rates. Well, it's solidly inverted there in March, which traditionally in the past has happened before each of the last nine recessions. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Oh dear. So a little worrisome. The good news, or at least neutral news, is that doesn't mean a recession is imminent. Sometimes there's a good year or two in between the time of inversion and recession. So you're saying we've got two years. Yes, exactly. Okay, great. And the stock market actually tends to do pretty well after the inversion, at least for that year or so. Plus, there have been false positives in the past, so it doesn't necessarily mean there's a recession, but it's something to pay attention to. More practically speaking, when rates go down, the value of bonds go up, so March was a pretty good month for bonds. Um, and also, mortgage rates are just plummeting. Mm. So we just went through the biggest drop in rates over a one-week period in 10 years. So in October, mortgages, 30-year mortgage was five, almost 5%, now it's down to 4%. And according to mortgage data provider Black Knight, that means there are about 5 million Americans who could refinance and cut 0.75% off their mortgage. Mm. So if you're one of those people, definitely now is the time to consider doing that. I'm glad I didn't just remortgage. Oh, yeah. wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you could always do it again. Uh, number two, there could be new retirement laws on the horizon. So something very unusual happened recently in Washington. Democrats and Republicans agreed on something, what? At, least, no. at least when it comes to the House Ways and Means Committee. So they advanced several pieces of legislation that, if passed by the House and Senate and signed by the president, would bring a whole bunch of changes to retirement accounts as well as 529s. And the thing is, there is a good deal of bipartisan support for this. So just a sampling of what could happen. So it could be easier for smaller companies to offer retirement plans and offer a fi- get a $500 tax credit for automatically enrolling employees. Ooh. And make it almost required for, for people with who companies that are offering 401ks to let their part-time employees sign up because currently they don't have to. And both of those things are good news to small employers and more coverage for part-time employees because study after study shows that the availability of a plan at work is highly correlated to whether someone is going to save. So that's good news. Um, it's Possibly that they're going to raise the required minimum distributions from retirement accounts from 70.5 to 72. And I think that's just gonna, has to go up even further, but that's a good step. They're going to allow 529 accounts to cover private school, homeschooling, and cover student loans. So that's a big change, too. And then finally, encourage 401ks to offer annuities. This one to me is a little controversial. The point is, that 401ks are good for people accumulating money, but then employers don't really provide any help on turning that into retirement income. So they want to make it easier for 
annuities to be included so that it could provide some sort of lifetime income. Mm. The flip side, of course, is that annuities often are very expensive and actually are not very good for people. So I'll be very interested to see how they make sure that the annuities that are offered within 401ks are actually good for the folks. So we'll see what happens. Again, it's not law yet, but things are looking generally good for it. And if they get implemented, there'll be a lot of changes. And finally, the popularity and possible creepiness of Airbnb. This comes from uh, an article on Recode.net, at least the first part of it. And they have a chart that shows that Americans are now spending more on Airbnb than Hilton. Mm. And it's now taking up 20% of the entire U.S. consumer lodging market. Wow. So that has all kinds of implications for the hotel industry, for the real estate industry, because many people are buying these houses to rent them out. So that's all good news for Airbnb. On the flip side, there's an interesting article in The Atlantic with the title, Airbnb has a hidden camera problem. Oh, oh. The home rental startup says it's cracking down on hosts who record guests. Is it doing enough? So it starts with the story of a guy who goes to rent one room in a two-room apartment in Miami, laying in bed, looks up, sees a couple of lights, goes look at him. He's being recorded in his bedroom. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he takes out the memory card and then leaves Airbnb, refunded his money, and then paid for him to stay in a hotel. But it turns out there are lots of rules about this. Airbnb does allow some videoing of people, like on the outside of the house and in common areas, but it has to be disclosed Mm. to you before you rent it. But I just found it kind of creepy. Uh, The article was- Did you find it kind of creepy? I did find it good. That's a hot take there, Robert (laughs) Fruitcamp. Controversial. (laughs) So, but the article was mostly anecdotes, right? So there was no statistics about like 10% of people who stay at Airbnb are secretly being recorded. Yeah. But it just added a certain layer of like, oh, the next time I do something like that, I might check around a little bit. They had some anecdotes of people finding cameras and alarm clocks and things like that. So just something to keep an eye on. And that, by the way, is what's up. <laughs> Enjoy summer break, everybody. Just know you're not Because I'm going to make this place your it's time once again in our series where we tackle major life events. And this month we are tackling buying a home. Thanks to Ross Anderson. Hey. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Again. Always love being here. So you uh, not only have purchased houses in your past, you are obviously also a professional person who talks to people about this topic. I do. So he's a professional person. Yes, look <laughs> at <laughs> those amateur people. You can tell when I am winging the intro versus actually writing it. But yes, as a professional person, you are going to provide us with your professional and amateur experience in buying a house, professional and personal. Sure, sure. So, well, and to be clear, I'm not like a real estate investor. I don't do this a lot. It's not a hobby of mine. I yep. find it to be pretty painful as an experience, but uh, happy to talk through what, what we went through and kind of what we thought about uh, and frame that in the context of uh, maybe some good financial guidance. So let's, had- let's make it clear why he is a, fin- a professional person. Oh, because you're a financial planner with Motley Fool Wealth Management. A sister company to Motley Fool. That's correct. Uh, so you have actually <laughs> broken this down into five Easy steps to thorough. becoming a heavy thorough steps. <laughs> thorough steps. I know, you know. You always want to sell something as like 
five easy ways to do this. But buying a house is not easy, nor should it be. Because it's the biggest investment most people are going to make in their lives. It's true. It, it's a massive asset for most people relative to their their overall net worth, and and uh, it's a big decision, and it's a long term decision uh, for for most of us. So something you should take seriously. All right, then let's start with it. The first step, of course, is to decide whether or not you really should buy a house, <laughs> which I I think a lot of people think of as a given. They just assume. Yeah. I should be a homeowner. I'm and an adult. That's adulting. That's just like checking the boxes. That's the next thing I'm going to do. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get a home. I'm going to get a dog. Like you know, um, maybe a, a spouse. You know, somewhere in there, we'll we'll interlace this with, <laughs> with Sean's episode. Spouse. But yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I think the first question is should should homeowning be in your immediate future or something that you aspire to? Uh, and I don't know that the answer to that is definitely yes. Um, you know, I think homeownership gives you a couple protections. One against the inflation in housing. If you've been a renter, you get that letter that goes, "Rent's going up," um, and we just know that inflation is going to going to pass through so many different items. But um, I think you're kind of locking in that cost of the home, and your tax bill still may go up as your assessment goes up. But for the most part, you're kind of securing that cost of the. Uh, the home that you're going to be in, uh, and kind of protecting yourself from that. Um, people talk a lot about the growth of real estate as an asset. Fun fact: Do you guys know the uh, actual real estate growth rate at a national level for for homes? So the stats we've used in the past were stats from David Planchet of Morningstar saying once you factor in all the costs of ownership, like taxes and repairs. It's like inflation or a percentage point above inflation. Yeah, it's like 3.1. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a very unexciting number. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you're in a market like a San Francisco or, or, or somewhere that home prices have been skyrocketing and have done so for a decade or more, you may think that I'm nuts when I say that. But home prices, at least at the national level, are not this big, exciting, go straight up really quickly sort of asset. Um, but you don't have to put all the money into it either. You know, to use really simple math, if you buy a $500,000 home and you put 100 down, the home price goes up by 3%, you've you've made a pretty good return on your 100 that you put in um, because you're you're borrowing most of that money from the bank. And so I, I think you do get some leveraged upside, uh, but in the short term, the things that can go wrong are brutal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're brutal, and, and and I think we've we've got some fun stories. Hopefully, that we can share uh, of, of some things that have yeah in quotes fun fun. Uh, you know, as you smile through the pain, but um, I think every homeowner has gone through some of these things of just stuff going wrong that you don't plan for, um, and and also the frictional cost of moving in and out of a home means that it needs to be a long term decision. If you're buying a home and you don't think that you're going to be put in that staying put in that spot for at least five years, I think you're probably making a mistake. Um, just the real estate commissions, the mental effort to find and to get into the transaction, and the lost time maybe at work of, of spending all the, the time on this stuff. It, it's just uh, it's a lot. The so. amount you spend on getting your house ready for sale, and then there's totally. the inspection and the things you have to fix after the inspection. It's well, a lot of money. selling a home is another is another episode, yeah. which I'm also going to do. So I I don't want to go too <laughs> okay. far down we'll that. Wait on that one. Save it save it for next week. Yeah, next month. All, all right. right, got it. But but yes, exactly. I, I think there's a lot of frictional cost when when you look at it, and so uh, you know if if owning a home is, is your American dream, I, I think you need to 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 want to be in that place for a while, uh, and you really need to be financially prepared. 
Um, and, and so we're going to talk a little bit about how to All do right, that. All right, yeah, let's talk about that. How do you make sure that you are financially ready to buy a house? Okay. So I think most people think of the housing purchase in the component of a monthly expense. They think about their rent and then they look at like, what can I afford relative to that? Um, so first of all, if you're going up, if you assume that your, your mortgage payment is going to be more than your rent, um, start making that payment right now. And I don't mean paying extra in actual rent, but start treating your uh, housing payment as if it's more than it is and committing those extra dollars to savings. Um, I really think that that's the simplest way to figure out what can I afford. Um, now, I heard that I was mentioned on this show as the anti-budgeter. It's true. Did, did I, financial health up? day, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, and I believe that. I really am. I, I embrace that. I'm not a budgeter where I want to figure out where every line item goes, but I do want to figure out if what's left after I commit to those expenses is enough for me to live my life comfortably. So, if you think that you're going to go up by 500 bucks on your payment, start putting that 500 bucks in savings. Don't touch it. And you can still spend the rest and see if, if that's a comfortable space for you. Um, and I think that does a couple things. Number one is it starts preparing you for a down payment because now you're accumulating cash. That's all good. And we're kind of stress testing does our budget support this higher level of payment, even though we haven't committed to it yet? Um, so I think that's kind of one of my first things is start to stress test your budget a little bit to see what can you afford. Because if you go to the mortgage guy, uh, they're going to tell you that you can afford. Insane amount of house. An exceptional yeah. amount of house, right? They're going to basically look at what's the most could you borrow that we think you're likely to probably not default, maybe. But <laughs> but if you do, we're going to take your house from you. But at that point, they've sold you the mortgage anyhow, so it Who doesn't cares? matter yeah, to them. Exactly. They, they've made their money. And that's not a right. knock against mortgage guys. I don't think that that's an evil industry. They're allowing a lot of great things to happen. Uh, but don't look at the number that they show you and go, oh, Oh, I can't afford it. It's ridiculous it, how much you get. We got approved for double what we should probably be living in. Wow. It's yeah. insane. It's it's a lot of money. Especially our first house. We were like, what? We, you think we can afford this? And Ron was like, there's no way we can afford this. I'm like, I know. Did these people really met us? We just gave them everything, and this is what they came back with? Did you guys read these Did numbers? Read Did you read this? Are you assuming that our only expense is going to be a house? Because it's not really what it's going to be. Yeah, so 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 I, I think that's the wrong way to determine the budget. Yes, but, but start start figuring out what you can spend by actually doing it, and and I think it's got two effects: you stress test your own budget, um, and you start to save a little bit more aggressively. Um, the other thing is really that your emergency fund needs to be in a bigger spot. Um, so three to six months is the typical uh, guidance. If you're on the three side, I think you probably need to be closer to six when you become a homeowner because there's gonna be big stuff, even in a condo. Uh, which is what I just came from, I replaced every appliance, most of them not out of choice. Hot water heater, HVAC system, like you name it, dishwashers, uh, like it just, it all breaks over time, even if you've got decent stuff in there. And it's going to happen when you don't expect it. So don't get caught out of position and end up in a spot where you're kind of pedaling backwards with credit card debt and everything else. Um, I think you've got to have your savings level higher to go into a home and, and be able to kind of take the bumps and bruises along the way. Well, when you're a renter, you just don't think about it, sure. right? You're like, oh, my toilet broke. Call. Call. Email. It's a call. Oh, that was annoying, but now it's fixed. And you don't, I, don't know how, I, mean, I don't know how much it costs to fix a toilet. I wouldn't sure. even begin to know. Yeah. It could be a million dollars. It's not a million dollars. <laughs> I actually do know about a, how much it is to fix a toilet. Um, 
But you like what I didn't when I was in my twenties and when I was renting, and I just you don't even think about all those costs and boy, they add up. Yeah. So a couple of rules of thumb that people will use is, you should assume that you'll spend one to two percent of the value of the house on annual maintenance. Mm. So if you have a five hundred thousand dollar house, five to ten thousand dollars a year, or there's also a square footage rule of thumb. So a dollar for every square foot, or two dollars if wow. you live in a pricier place. So that just gives you a, a rough idea of how much you should plan. The thing is, it doesn't happen each and every year. Sometimes you'll go a couple of years without anything, and then poof, you need to replace the roof for $30,000. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's your next? So um, now that you've become more disciplined with your finances, you're saving money, you're preparing yourself. I think it's time to start looking. This is the fun part. It's it, This is so fun. It's, <laughs> it's fun and it's stressful. I don't know. I, I, I geek out on it, but I, I still look at houses. Even today, after I've bought this house, because I just like looking at them. Yeah. I, I is, is it weird? It's like voyeuristic. I no, I do that too. Many people do that. Just like looking I at don't. other people's stuff. My wife does it all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it's 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 just important. To, I mean, we're not going to be living in this same house forever, so it's important to know what's out there, what the market's doing, and and programs like Redfin, Redfin and Zillow have made this so much easier. Totally. And, and, and it's become fun, and I like that the algorithm will like figure out what you're clicking on, and then show you other stuff like it. So it, it's it's like learning about what you're clicking on. Um, I, I also I'm I'm partial to to Redfin as a shareholder, but uh, you know I, I just think Redfin has done such a good job of figuring out that pattern of like what am I looking at and showing me stuff that that's going to be in my price range, and then maybe a stretch. It showed me some homes where I was like. <sighs> I think you meant to show this to somebody else. But, uh, <laughs> you got the wrong Ross Anderson. But, yeah, but but I, I had Anderson. so much fun just kind of kind of sifting through houses and looking at different neighborhoods. And and if you do that earlier, you can kind of start to see the patterns of how mm-hmm. long stuff sits on the market and what are the really big things that are are moving the needle, whether that's square footage or the lot size and the location. Um, and you your personal uh, wantsy list or need list is going to be totally different. Um, it could be driven by school districts. It could be driven by the location and the commute here in Northern Virginia. That that's a super premium. Anywhere yeah. anywhere closer to the city, you're paying for it because mm-hmm. you're you're probably going to be in the car less time. Um, and then of of course all the all the things on the home, the uh, number of bedrooms, if it's got a yard, how turnkey is it, is it updated, all of that stuff. You'll start to get a feel for it in your market, and I think that that's really important. To start really assessing what are we going to get for our money, because if you go into it with an unrealistic expectation of thinking you're going to walk in, it's going to be a turnkey home, uh, it, and I think even the first time we went through this, my wife and I, we were used to seeing some of these HGTV shows, mm. and they're brutal because they'll go, okay, I've got like, you know, we we want to have an acre and a half and and at least. 2,500 square feet and two car garage, and our budget's like 210,000, and then they like find it, and you're like, what? Where did that exist? Because that that's nowhere Not near DC. the pricing here. Yeah. I'd live in a shoebox for that amount of money in in DC. <laughs> and so, um, you know, get start getting used to your market and and just what you're gonna get. Um, and, and I think that you'll be much better calibrated for when you get serious and and ready to do that. When you are buying a house with someone else, it's funny how hard it can be to communicate what you really really want in a house. Because Ron and I were shopping for a house for years and years and years, and and I still don't really know what appeals to him in a house versus what appeals to me. I know it's different. I know it's different because we would go, we would go see two open houses, and I would, I would say, oh my gosh, we have to. And they're 
effectively the same house, same neighborhood, same number of bedrooms, bathrooms. And I'd be like, we have to put an offer in on this house. And he would say, what are you? And he couldn't believe it. No, we have to put an offer on this other house. It's crazy how you can think you're aligned on paper, but when you actually get into a house, it's like, nope, I hate that house. And you're like, what? So do you guys have that problem decorating too? Is it a design thing? Um, no, I think we're more aligned on decorating, although I have concerns about where he wants to put our couch. <laughs> like, he has it slammed up against a wall, and I think the feng shui is all wrong, and it's not centered on the fireplace, and I don't know. So, I mean, we're, people bump heads all the time. But yeah. it's funny how you can think you're aligned on paper, but then it's not until you actually get into a house that you're like, oh, no, we completely disagree. <laughs> all um, right. The bottom well, line then, is really, so the housing to a large degree, is an emotional issue and yeah. a psychological issue. Totally. I think that is, you could you could compare two houses, buying one and renting one, and financially, they work out even for you, but there is just some psychological benefit for some people, because the house is their own, they can do what they want. Other people like the renting because they're not tied down. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that doing what you want thing is... It's probably both being overrated and underrated by by people when they think about it, because everybody wants to do this stuff, and then you get into it and you figure out what's it going to cost me to do <laughs> to do that thing if I just because again those shows make it look so easy mm-hmm. like yeah I'm just going to like bump out that wall that that's like the most common term on TV and home renovations yeah right. we're just going to bump that bump out just bump it out yeah just do you open know what that means plan. like you're taking down walls that's serious work yeah you got you need a drywall guy you need the paint guy you got to or... redirect the the vents and yeah. the you got to yeah the duct work is all got to go and by the way someone drilled through the joists oh my gosh <laughs> they always <laughs> drill through the joists they, Always, they just cut through mine. They just cut through them. They yeah. just do that entirely. Like, yeah. like, what's that needed for? That's not holding anything up, is it? <laughs> no, no, right? No, of course the not. The floor. The floor <laughs> is what it's holding up. Not sure who does that. I don't. Every house we've lived in, someone has gouged out large parts of joists. It's if, insane. If you're listening to this right now and you're a joist cutter, just, just please, stop. Please stop it. You're killing us. You're killing us. Oh man. Yeah. Anyway. All right. <laughs> this is where the personal the personal comes into the professional. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. So, so all right. So let's assume now, now you're looking, you're well tuned into your market, you you've saved some money. It's time to actually get serious. You got to go get a pre-approved for the loan. And uh, I personally used a sponsor that shall not be named. <laughs> you use Rocket Mortgage. I did. NMLS ConsumerAccess.org number twenty twenty. Wait, thirty thirty. 30 I did that. <laughs> uh, I used I used Rocket, I did, and and the reason I used Rocket was because uh they offer a very inexpensive recasting process, which I I don't know if anybody has ever thought about recasting. I don't alone. even know what recasting is. Okay. So recasting alone is if you're going to make a big payment on it at some point, that can either go to principal and you'll pay off your loan sooner. Or you can have them readjust the amortization schedule. So it actually lowers your payment. The reason we did that, or wanted to do that, and we haven't actually done it yet, is that we hadn't sold our condo when we were doing this. And so we were making a smaller down payment than we thought we were going to. And then the the plan was to sell the condo, use the proceeds of the condo to lower the mortgage, and then we were going to lower the mortgage payment as a result. 
Now, in my particular case, all of that money has now gone into renovations in my home mm. because <laughs> we wanted to bump out a couple walls. Uh, it's but easy. How hard could it be? Easy. Yeah. Just just bump it out. But uh, that was at least the plan. And now, at some point, I still may do that, but uh, haven't yet. God, think of all that space you have now. It's true. Just so much room. It's true. I, I had a bathroom. The master bath looked kind of like a, a hotel room. There was no... The vanity was in the master. There was no space. Oh, really? Yeah. You're, you just like walk over to the vanity while you're in the master bedroom. And we were like, that is no, weird. it's not going to work. Yeah. Somebody getting ready early in the morning wakes everybody up. That's, yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. So we just bumped out the wall. Just bumped it out. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah, no so big but, deal. so the, the purpose of the pre-approval, though, is first of all, you know how much you can borrow. Correct. But it also puts you in a stronger negotiating. Much so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so when you're submitting that that letter, basically saying I have access to these funds, they've already looked at my stuff. Um, you're you're making a much stronger offer that that you're likely to be approved for the financing if your offer gets accepted. Right. Um, the other thing, and I thought this was fascinating, is that they're doing all of the pre-approval stuff through account aggregation now. So it used to be that you had to submit statements over and over and over and over again that they kept asking, okay, what's in the bank account now? And so if this was like a long process for you, uh, you'd have to send them months and months worth of your bank statements, and it was just a pain in the neck. And now they just connect right to it, like a mint.com or um, you know some of these other aggregators, oh, yeah. and they can just watch. And they can see if you spend all your money and tried to move it from one pocket to the other. Uh, and, and so they, they don't have to keep asking. It was great. It's easy and a little creepy. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, because they're probably still watching like, yes. <laughs> he spent all that on a wall? Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I think that process has improved quite a bit with, with technology. All right, and so you, we've only ever worked with a realtor. Obviously, companies like Redfin and Zillow, they offer. Or does Zillow also offer you to not work with a realtor and you work through through Zillow? I believe or? Zillow is still doing the advertising Just with the realtors. So, yeah, so with Redfin. So they partners. And yeah, that, yeah, so with Redfin, you can go with them and it's cheaper, or I guess you can just go cuckoo crazy and not use a realtor. You could. We, I, I wouldn't. We use a realtor. Wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and now you're you're ready to make an offer. And, and one of the things that our realtor did help us with uh, in this case, was I think making an aggressive offer, but justifying it. Um, one of the things that you'll see people do is decide that they're going to throw like a lowball offer out there. We're like, okay, the home's listed for four hundred thousand, but we'll send them three fifteen and see if they accidentally sign it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I think it's important to remember you can be aggressive on on your offer, but there are people on the other side of that that may now be insulted that you've deemed their home not worthy of anywhere near what they're asking for it. Um, and so, as as the receiver of that offer, you could choose to reject it. You could choose to counter, and most people will counter, um, or or you know they could reject it flat out. But it, if you're in a reasonable range and they're a motivated seller, they'll probably counter offer. But um, if you justify why you're offering something lower than what they're asking for, I think we had a much likelier chance, and that's what we did. So we sent the comps and basically said these three homes around you have sold. This one sold for exactly what you're asking for, but it was updated, had better bathrooms, better yada, yada, yada. And uh, I think it put us in a better position. Instead of just saying, we, th- we don't think it's worth that, we said, this is why. And um, I think they had to take that more seriously, and they ultimately accepted that offer after a little back and forth. All right, so you make your offer, and it gets accepted! We got a deal! Yay! You are under contract! Congratulations! Uh, don't 
get too excited, right? Mm. To, to me, this is like being in a car dealership, and then you decide what car you want. You're like together with Price and the sales guy, and then they walk you back to that F and I guy in the back, and you're like, "Ooh, he's trying to sell me the undercoating thing on on the car," mm-hmm. which don't don't buy that. And either, there's by a the trash way. panda in the trunk that we forgot to tell you about, yeah. and yeah. All, all sorts of stuff. So. Um, this is where you get to, assuming that you wrote an, an offer that is contingent on an inspection, this is where you get to go and dig through all of their stuff, or mostly the home, but mm-hmm. their stuff will probably still be in it. Um, so in the home inspection, and we, we made a couple mistakes as part of this process, um, the home that we bought was, or is, on a slab construction, so it means it doesn't have a crawl space, it's just sitting on a big block of concrete. And there were some cracks, and there was some clear movement in the concrete, and um, it started making us nervous. Mm-hmm. And we thought, oh my gosh, is the, is the foundation of this house wrong? And we got so nervous about that that uh, we kind of forgot all the other stuff that was in the report. Uh, and so we ended up having a foundation expert come out. He looked. He said, yeah, it has moved, but it's settled. It's fine. It's, it's going to be good. And we went, Phew, thank goodness were okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for example, they had told us that there were some some droppings up in the attic. Didn't really pay much attention to it, because we were like, ah, it's fine. It's no big deal. It's a house. It was built in 1973. No, no biggie. It turns out they were raccoon droppings, and it was a massive problem. They were up there tearing up the insulation, and it was exceptionally expensive. Mm. And people said, didn't your home inspection catch it? And it it did, I think. So embarrassing. <laughs> it, 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 it really is embarrassing to, to have been caught by surprise. Yeah. Um, so read the whole thing. Don't get fixated on one problem. Because uh, we we were just like so relieved that the foundation was okay. That we were like, ah, everything else will be small potatoes. Uh, and the housing inspection is going to be 40, at least in our experience, it's like 40,000 pages. It's of, super It's just long. like every little thing. Yeah. Every little thing that it's easy to... Um, it's easy to get lost yeah. in it. This little stone with it on your front drive was a was a little ha- loose. Little that's, tripping that's a real problem. You're gonna yeah. have to take care of that. Oh, by the way, there's droppings. It's it's raccoons. Dirty Mike and the boys live in your attic. Don't worry about it, <laughs> right? And uh, that's what we named our raccoons. <laughs> it helps yeah. to name to name <laughs> the critters. It was it was great. Um, but they're removed. We've got new insulation, fancy new patchwork all over the house. Thousands so they don't of get dollars back. later. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So but um, the foundation's good. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, at least it's not moving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least it's not moving. So uh, I do also recommend if you're if you're in more of a fixer upper sort of house, um, take a contractor in there with you. You can do that as well, um, either as part of the home inspection or book another time with the the current homeowner, and start figuring out what those projects are going to cost. You know, and and um, I, you don't have to commit to doing those things right there, obviously. But if you're going to do some renovations, you can go into it very clear-eyed about what's going to happen to you after you close on the home. Yeah, and we had um, I think Rob Renette he suggested on the show earlier to your realtor is probably going to recommend someone to do the inspection for you, but um, a, a guy uh, a, a fool recommended that you find your own inspector and you find your own person that you like and trust and get recommendations uh, because. It's in the realtor's interest that 
you don't find anything wrong with the house and that you move forward with it and that you enjoy it and get past it. And so Rob had a bad experience, so he suggested finding your own inspector. Sure. Yeah, because the in many cases, that realtor is in a position to make that referral a bunch of times over, right? They're going to have, hopefully, many clients and send them back to the same inspectors, assuming the inspectors are continuing to do that. Our, ours gave us a few choices, but, um, but yeah, I like that, to do kind of your own independent search to find your own people. All right, so you put in the offer, you did the inspection, everything's great. You're about to be a homeowner. Yay! It's closing day. Get your money ready. Oh, uh, all your money. All, your, all the and money. And your signing hand. Yes. Mm. There, there's nothing sadder than going through all of the documents and seeing every single place, the, the county and the city and the state and the title and the courthouse, all of these people have their hand in your pocket somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, it's best to just ignore it, get down to that number at the bottom and sign your check. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to, to that point, if, uh, to go back to kind of when you're making that deal, if you're light on cash, you can ask for more in terms of like seller assistance towards the closing costs, maybe instead of negotiating your price. As much so, uh, if you're a first-time home buyer and, and otherwise the down payment's the challenge, maybe that's a better negotiating point for you because when you get to this closing step, it's still going to take you some money to get through all the closing costs. Um, but so so now you're there, uh, you are going to be a homeowner. Um, I think the final thing I would say is decide if you're going to do any work to the home before you move in. Um, we had a popcorn ceiling. Uh, again, home was built in '73. Mm-hmm. We weren't like super in that. love with it, yeah. and uh, they hadn't banned asbestos use mm-hmm. in '73 yet. So we didn't really want to be in the home or have our pets in the home when they were doing like the removal. Um, they ended up going right over it, which I thought was kind of cool. They buried it, um, so now it's under a. It's still in there, but it's under a um, like a layer of plaster and all this stuff. Anyway, uh, but we wanted that done before we were in there. Uh, and, and so kind of deciding, so you're ready to go, kind of shovel ready right after you close so that you can get in as quickly as possible. Um, you know, prioritize those items. And uh, I think it's fun to start meeting your neighbors. Mm-hmm. I, my, my, my grandfather used to say, I've got the best neighbors in the world. I don't know them. They don't know me. Uh, but <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, I, I, I like that sense of community and, uh, you know, having a little little dialogue of who's who are the people around you. I think that can also help you if there's ever... A dispute of any kind that that people like you and know you, but um, and then you know after after that it's really about getting back to the savings game. So whatever else is on your horizon, whether that's retirement, whether that's school for your kids, whether that's home improvements. Now that you're in the home, um, you know, get back to being disciplined as soon as you can and uh, enjoy yourself. I, I you know I think now that we're in it and we're we're basically through. Our first wave. We've got our, our final projects on the inside of the home being finished right now, which is the the master bath that had the crazy vanity in it. Um, first of all, super excited because even though the most of the home is starting to feel like home, um, getting all the contractors out of the house is going to be a nice feeling. Mm. Right right now, we're so used to them being in there that it's like they're living there. Um, so getting that done and finally being beyond it because we did buy a little bit of a fixer upper and we knew that price points in Fairfax County are nutso. Yeah. Um, and and so we were trying to come into a spot where we could still afford the home and then make it our own. Um, and I think that's kind of the cool thing about not buying something that's super turnkey is that it's going to feel like us when when we're done with it. It's our design. If people think the tile sucks, I don't care. I picked it. This is what I wanted. <laughs> um, so 
Uh, I, I'm super pumped about it. We've got some projects that'll be outside next, um, but we're going to try and do as much of that ourselves yeah. and, and just, you know, cleaning up the yard and all that. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun to have a place that, that feels like it's you. It's fun to have a place that's yours. I think my biggest takeaway from we've bought two houses now at this point in our life is that it costs way more than you think it's going to. Definitely. Like, absolutely. I don't know what the exact number is, but. If you go from renting a house to renting a renting a place to buying a house, like you just don't think about, well now I have a yard, which means I need to buy everything to take care of this yard. And now I have and things again, things are breaking all the time. And it's and even just the closing costs and how much it costs to actually buy a house, everything costs so much more than you think and it hurts so much. <laughs> it, it's the truth and and you know, people say, oh, "I'm renting. I'm just throwing my money away." And like, yes, you're yeah. not you're not getting equity when you're renting, but you're taking on a lot more risk for that equity. Um, and and An if effort, you, yeah. And if you get popped a couple times early on like big expenses, the even the amount of equity that you're going to get over maybe a couple of years, because you you know early on in a mortgage, if you look at the amortization schedule, you're not chipping away at the loan very much in those first few years. It might it might only be like three four hundred bucks a payment. Even if you're making an eighteen hundred dollar a month payment, and you know one air conditioner goes out on you, five thousand dollar expense, and all of the equity you would have accrued in two years is gone, and it's like, oh, <laughs> what a bummer! And it's like, yeah, now you're you're cool and you're comfortable, but that sucks. Yeah. Um, it, and so if you're having trouble saving money already, buying a home is probably not for you yet. You've got to get disciplined first. Um, and and get that even if it's the anti-budget like me and and you just want to start saving money and ignoring where the rest of it goes, but you've got to have that discipline built in before you get into the home buying purchase. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've spent thousands of dollars to buy what I thought I already had. Yeah, <laughs> a roof, you know, <laughs> a water heater. I thought I had that already, but you now did. I just you did not buy a water heater. No. Yeah. 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 Oh man, we're ending on such a negative note. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It it's is gonna good. be good. And if you do buy a house that you stay in for a long time, it can be an asset later on in life. If you retire, you do because then you downsize, you move to a lower cost part of the country, or you do get a reverse mortgage. So it's not a complete waste of money. Sure, but it is a long-term commitment. It is. Yeah, it, it takes a long time for the math to really work out in your favor. Um, and yes, you are making a payment. You're paying off debt, and you're doing all of those things on a month-to-month basis. But but assume that it's going to take longer than than you would want it to. But go for it. On that cheerful note, <laughs> get out there and prop up the housing. <laughs> oh, Ross, I'm going to make you stick around, but I also have some more to write, to say here. So, all right, our sister company, Motley Fool Wealth Management, is a registered investment advisor that can help you put your financial plan and investing needs in the context of your big life transitions. If you've enjoyed learning from Ross or the other Motley Fool Wealth Management planners we've had on the show, guess what? You can get even more of them in your life because I think people want to hear more about more stories about. I'm sorry, dirty. Dirty, Dirty Mike and the Boys. Dirty Mike and the Boys. So visit fullwealth.com slash radio. You'll find podcast notes and resources, and you can even book a no-obligation appointment with Ross or another planner you've probably heard on the show. Please consider the risk, cost, and suitability of investments before choosing any investment professionals. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Motley Fool Wealth Management does not guarantee the results of any of its advice or account management.
Ross, you want to stick around? Because I'm going to try and sell you guys an insane house. Let's do it. All right. See if you buy it. Initially, when I was planning for this segment, I was just going to research some crazy houses and have you guess how much you'd pay for them or how much they sold for. But I landed on this one house, which is just so perfect. I think that you guys are going to want to buy it. And so I'm going to tell you the story of this house, and then I'm going to let you make some guesses along the way about what what turns this story takes. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. So first off, the house is a vast limestone cave on 240 acres in the Ozarks, 150 miles northwest of Little Rock. And it's called the Beckham Creek Cave. It comes with a freshwater spring. How much do you think you would pay for it in 1983? 1983? Mm-hmm. So the Ozarks are actually quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, it's Arkansas, so land is cheaper. So uh, How much land was it again? Uh, 240 acres. And the cave is uh, about a mile and a half long. It comes Again, it comes with a freshwater spray. <laughs> well, the last time I bought a cave, I only paid... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, your cost per acre back in 83 was... No. I've, I've, I have no idea. Hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to go low. I'm going to say you could have picked that up for twenty five thousand. Well, if you're John Hay, founder of the Celestial Seasonings Tea Company, you paid one hundred forty six thousand dollars to convert this cave into a bomb shelter. (laughs) After watching what ABC nuclear holocaust show? Oh, it. it, it, uh, I remember this. That it was the the last day or something like that. Rick knows it, it. It took place in Kansas. The morning after. That's it. Close. Yes. Close. You're probably too young, Ross. I have no idea what you're talking about. It was called The Day After. Okay. The Day After. Do you remember this show? I when remember. It came it. On? So right, the Morning was, After it, is a pill. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> both, both with cat- both cataclysmic. Apocalyptic. <laughs> Uh, so it was a show on. This is before everyone had cable, so we were all st- mostly stuck watching the, the major networks. It was basically a show what America would look like, at least this one town in Kansas, after a nuclear war, and everybody watched it. Everybody watched it. It was like it. the last episode of Mash. Everyone watched it. Yeah. So John Hay, again, the co-founder of Celestial Seasoning Tea Company, which has its own cuckoo crazy story. Uh, he watched this, and he was like, "I got it." I got I got to buy a bomb shelter now. I got to make a bomb shelter. So he invests two. Well, invests. I don't know. He takes two million dollars to convert the cave into a fallout shelter. It has a hydroelectric power supply, forty foot rock ceilings, and enough freeze dried food to feed fifty people for two years. Also, a lovely dance floor because if you're going to be holed up with fifty people for two years, you should have some fun. Uh, apparently they him and his he was in a religious group and apparently they even used it a couple times during some bomb scares but anyway eventually he realized okay we're not going to have nuclear outright war with Russia well that's when it right happens right, right right when you give right, up right when you think yeah so in 1987 he sells the property to someone only known as Mr Richardson who invested that person then invested 6 million dollars into converting the place into a nightclub Opening night, but again, we are 150 miles northwest of Little Rock. <laughs> and someone decides to open a nightclub, but okay. All For right. $6 million. Opening night boasted some big name celebrities, including, can you name at least one? It's 1987. Duran Duran. I do, I do Sp- like a little Duran Spandau Duran. Ballet. They were, they were doing the, uh, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, are we going like professional athletes? It's 1987. I'm just going to let you guess. Celebrities. Pat Benatar. The guys from Miami Vice. I have no idea. Alf. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. Wow, okay. Give us a hint. How about a hint? How about the the biggest celebrity in 1987? Michael Jackson. Yes! Oh my Michael Jackson. Jackson. Was he really? Supposedly. Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, Elizabeth Taylor, and Arnold Schwarzenegger apparently <laughs> went to this nightclub. I'm sure Pat Benatar was there too. She just didn't make your list. Probably. Probably. So John Hay repurchased the property in 1994 and turned it back into a house. So here's some downsides to living in a cave. The stalactites drip. That's annoying. The backyard is a mile and a half long cave that is home to bats and other critters that find their way into the house now and then. Raccoons. Yeah. It's always 65 degrees. Um, so it had a few owners, but most recently it was listed in 2018 for how much? 750000 750, No, it was a $6 million nightclub. I know, but it's, it's outdated now. <laughs> You haven't played Allison's games, have you? <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, I, yeah, I was going to try and inflate the number from there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say it's worth $15 million. Okay, that's a little high. I don't know. Rick, do you have a guess? I was going to go back with the original number, close to bro. 100000 $2.75 Oh, wow. But it's now a vacation rental, and you can stay there for the low, low price of how much a night? I'm apparently really bad at this game. <laughs> Everyone's bad at this game. Fifteen hundred. Six hundred bucks. Twelve hundred. Wow. So what I love about this house is that it tells the story of America. It's a <laughs> bunker during the early eighties when everyone was freaking out about nuclear war with Russia. Then in the mid eighties, it was a nightclub where celebs did cocaine with each other. And then it's not really clear what happened to it in the 90s and the aughts, but now it's basically an Airbnb. <laughs> How amazing is this place? And it's a cave in Arkansas. So, yeah, maybe we should visit sometime. The real, the real Bat Cave. There you go. I wonder if they have postcards. Listeners. Just an idea. Just an idea. It actually, the renovation, you can go, there's a website, so you can go and look it up online. And, and it's actually, the renovation was really lovely. It looks very cool. The Ozarks are really nice. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna go stay there one night? Sure. Have a party? I'm a little scared of the Ozarks because of the show. Oh, yeah. It's a good show. show. show's dark. Yeah. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Is that in the Ozarks, too? <laughs> Close enough. I can't remember which town I, I was in the Ozarks, but it's lovely. We should do a, uh, a live... Uh, podcast there. Can you can you imagine? It'd be me talking and then a drip, 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 <laughs> drip, and then it would just echo and then a bat would fly into us. Oh, hate bats. All right. Well, that's the show. <laughs> Ross, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. I, I hope my my own experiences can help somebody else out there. Absolutely. I'm sure. And for our listeners, don't forget, head to foolwealth.com slash radio for more episodes in this series and to book a no-obligation appointment to chat with a Motley Fool Wealth Management Planner. The show is edited cavernously by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.